G'day and welcome to the Hidden Why podcast. This is episode 904, my interview with Kai Whiting. We're discussing stoicism and sustainability. Guys, I really hope you enjoy this conversation. Cheers. G'day and welcome to another interview here on the Hidden Why podcast. Lee Manutzi with you as always. Guys, I hope you're very well. I hope you're staying safe. These are very challenging times. Indeed, lots going on and lots to think about. And I think it's important that we try and keep some level of clarity and calmness and perspective in, in these moments so that we can, I suppose, take what we can out of this challenging time, take the opportunities out of this challenging time that will help us live a more beautiful life moving forward. And I think that's what we can learn in, in these situations, uh, the lessons and the opportunities to, to better improve not only ourselves, but our families and the lives of those others around us and the global population as a whole. Kai Whiting is my guest today. He's a researcher and lecturer in sustainability and also stoicism. So we talk about stoicism as it relates to uh, climate change or climate breakdown, as he suggests. Uh, we also talk about stoicism and, and some of the practices that can be applied uh, for the faces, the challenges that we face today um, in, in the world. So it's a really good conversation. I think stoicism is a great way to um, gain some more consciousness and a little bit more of a level-headedness around how we do what we do and why, importantly, we do it. And that's certainly a part of this conversation as well with Kai Whiting. Guys, he's from Portugal, or living at Portugal at the moment. He's from the UK. Fantastic guy, fantastic conversation. I really hope you enjoy. G'day, Kai. Welcome to The Hidden Why. How are you? I'm fine, all things considered. Thank you, Lee, for inviting me. You're right. Um, no, thank you. Pleasure to have you here. And I'm looking forward to our, our conversation, um, discussing a few sort of angles today, but stoicism um, and something more importantly, which is, I guess, relevant to you and important to you is sustainability. Um, so I want to sort of delve into those two things. But we just started talking about, obviously, uh, the interesting times that we're living at the moment. And you're in Portugal. Tell us a little bit about what's happening over there. <sighs> So yes, uh, we we were quite sharp with our response to the coronavirus. So we're very, I would say, uh, blessed or fortunate, depending on the way you look at the world, that we took a very de decisive action early before it really impacted us. Uh, we're quite a small country. There's 10 million here. Yeah. Uh, and I would say that the National Health Service isn't as good as other countries that I've lived in. So things like you know places like Spain and the UK, where I'm from, the NHS is much more robust. Yep. So when as soon as I heard, I basically called one of my best friends and said, you have to stay with us because she was living in student halls and I didn't want her to be there because I just knew that the, the National Health Service wouldn't cope uh, here. It's very good, but in terms of um, just how large it is, it's just a much smaller operation. Mm. Um, and Portugal is a much poorer country than either Spain or the UK. So I was just very concerned about, you know, staying at home and thinking, again, being stoic about where am I physically based and, you know, if do we have a contingency plan and what would happen in the worst case scenario? So I just envisioned the sort of negative uh, vision that we're asked to do in stoicism, say, OK, what would be the worst case scenario? And I just felt that we wouldn't we just wouldn't cope at all. So, I so think to, the just talk to us about that, that, that uh, worst case scenario for a second. So that's a bit of a, a stoic practice to envision the worst case scenario about something. And I know it sounds quite negative, but just fill us in of the benefits there. So yes, uh, we're, we're encouraging stoicism to to really visualize the worst case scenario. But yeah. with one like caveat, like not to be like brought down by it or feel depressed by it, but to take action. 
So gotcha. in my case, if I just sat down and visualized, oh my gosh, we're all going to die, for example, which isn't the worst case scenario, if you think about it from a factual perspective, because it's just not the way it's going to go down. So not the worst possible apocalyptic disaster, but what is likely to happen? So what is the most likely negative scenario? And then asking yourself that question rather than what is the worst case scenario in the, the worst nightmare of, of my life? No, that's not what I'm saying. So, yes, so looking at the facts I had, looking at the graphs that I was looking at, sort of the, the exponential growth in China at the time, looking at how China could close down. I mean, I've lived in China myself, so I knew yeah. how China could close down pretty quickly. And that, mm. that wasn't the case in, in, in Portugal. So just visualizing that and then saying, OK, the best action I can take is inaction. It's basically to take myself out of the scenario to encourage you know, friends to do the same. To We had a spare room here, so I couldn't bear having a spare room in this crisis and just invited a friend and said, look, if you want to come, I think you should come now. Please pack your bags and come. You can be here like as long as it needs to be. And within like three hours or three hours and a half, something like that, she was here. And she's like, is it that serious? I, said, I think it is. I think it is. And that was like a week before it really started to turn. So was this, this was before any, any official lockdowns? Like, are you in, in full Exactly. Uh, yeah, we are now. So this is like, a, yeah, this was before that. This is when China or Wuhan uh, yeah. and the Hobai province, I believe it is, uh, they went into lockdown. And I just felt we we're going to go into lockdown because of the way that we, um, well, in Europe, we, we travel around a lot. Yes. Uh, we, we really, you know, most people in China are quite poor, I would say, from my experience. So there's not as much travel as, you know, per capita as we certainly do in Europe. And we, we're used to having those low cost flights and uh, mm. hopping from one country to another, whereas in Australia it's a much more difficult uh, scenario to imagine. So I just I just felt like this is um, this is this is going to happen in Europe. We are going to be badly hit because we haven't really thought about we haven't really thought this through. Uh, which I'm not saying that we necessarily could have done either. Uh, so I just thought, right, I've got to get take myself out of action. We've got to get food, you know, what we need uh, as much as we can. And uh, the the priority I had then was like higher calorific density, healthy food. So a lot of sort of things like potato, rice, um, beans, lentils, uh, chickpeas. Yes. So basically, like, what is the next, you know, what is the next logical? step and things like okay um re- remembering all the cookery lessons i had when i was kid so it was like apple <laughs> very british uh, wartime food apple crumble yeah. carrot cake again very dense food uh that would be filling basically yeah. because i just didn't know what was going to happen and i uh, thankfully we were really we are really lucky in the sense that the media has not used this sort of war-like language that i've heard in in, in the British media, so it almost seems like we have a Winston Churchill scenario. And so people were imagining like the German U-boats blowing up your food supplies. And then I think that that triggers the panic Whereas in Portugal, yeah. hasn't, language hasn't been hasn't been around. So although people were aware that mm. we were going into lockdown, there wasn't, oh, my gosh, you know, U-boats are destroying our food, you know, in the Atlantic, which is when you trigger that wartime kind of speech, you use like the blitz spirit. Which is a was a headline, for example. I think that's very dangerous because you're not being very accurate with your language. And in stoicism, for example, you are called to be very accurate with your language. So instead of saying something is good or something is bad, say exactly what happened. So when we go out in the rain, Lee, we say, "Oh, what a bad day." What we should say from a stoic perspective is, "It's raining." Yeah, <laughs> yeah. We don't need to add a, a value judgment on the rain. Yes. Right. Yes. 
So that, I think that's a good example of how, in, even in the way that we talk to others and ourselves, so it's that in, internal language either, or narrative that exactly we can drive, we can descend into to panic, or we can negatively visualize. To go back to your original question, negatively visualize and say, "What's the worst case scenario?" Mm. That's reasonable based on the evidence I have. Yeah. So that's what I did. So, so that best, yeah, the worst case scenario is about looking at, okay, if this was to be the worst case scenario based on the facts and information that we have at hand, what is the best course of action we can do uh, now? Is exactly. That, that's the exactly. idea behind that, that sort of practice. Yeah, that's very nicely put, Lee. Thank you for making that concise. Do you have um, other examples of where you've used the worst case scenario? And I, and I think I'm... I feel I'm a quite a positive person, but I also do um, look at the negative realities and, and what I say anyway, and again, I could be totally wrong, but what I think the potential worst case scenario or reality could be um, with what's going on here in Australia. And, and sometimes I, I look within and go, geez, it just real, really feels quite negative right now. Um, but I hope I'm doing that for the right reasons. You know what I mean? Like, so a lot of people would look at this and go, worst case scenario, that sounds negative. Like, why don't we just be positive and say it's all going to, you know, brush mm-hmm. over and pass in six months and just be very positive about it all? I mean, I can see why people want to be positive. Mm. But then if you if you put yourself in a situation where you're not, you don't have the toolkit, you know, if you say you're so positive that you don't pick up the tools you need along the way, then, you know, some, you know, your bathroom breaks down. You'd say, well, why don't you have DIY tools in your house if you know that it's likely at some point that you're going to need the yeah. basic equipment? I'm not saying, like, you buy an entire DIY shop or you buy what a mechanic would buy or a plumber would buy, but you'd have basic, you know, you might have, you know, spark plugs, for example, in your car. You might have a spare tire. But no one would call that very negative visualisation. They would call that resilience and preparation. I think the Australian yes. case is particularly difficult because you've only just got over the bushfires, right? Mm. You've got like this double uh, whammy. And so you already were in a, I believe, and my understanding from the Australian media, it was quite a negative or very sort of uh, wary state. And then to go from there relatively quickly to another another challenge. Oh, absolutely, yeah. I mean, we just, had, we had some droughts the- and then we had the fires and um, yeah, a lot, of, a lot of upsets, I suppose, for many people in Australia in the lead up to this and this was just uh, the icing on the cake as you might say yeah so in that case i can perfectly understand why the australian spirit needed a bit of lifting so mm. at, you know at some point you, you just can't as a human being just continue to operate under such a weight yes. what i would say for the australian people particularly is that the now that they've foreseen these things and thankfully in most cases survived them, mm. I think things like climate breakdown, uh, which some people call climate change, but I do prefer the term climate breakdown because I think that's exactly what's happening. The climate is breaking down. I think the Australian people would be more willing to uh, listen to the science and make uh, the necessary changes in, in society and in industry and include, you know, and of course in healthcare. Because I, I've been saying all this week, because people ask me about sustainability, it's like, well, you know, we can isolate from a virus. It's not easy, but you can't isolate from climate breakdown. There's no way you can hide. It will be much worse, unfortunately, than this, um, which is which is frightening. But it shouldn't be frightening to the sense that I feel, from a stoic perspective, I can't do anything. On the contrary, it should encourage me to vote uh, people that 
work according to the facts rather than say a faith of any description i'm not talking about particularly religious faith but a faith that everything's going to go well i mean that's okay if you've got some evidence but if not then i sincerely have to question either your motives or your understanding of, of the world right mm. so at the same time we don't want to get we don't want to beat ourselves or you know chastise ourselves unnecessarily we just want to make sure that we have the right you know diy tools in our in our house somewhere or the spare tire in case we get a flat, particularly say in Australia, where you can go miles and miles without seeing anybody. I, I, won't, I can't imagine a single Australian taking their car and not having basic equipment in the, in the back. It yeah, just wouldn't make yeah. any sense. Mm. Yeah. So it's, but it's not only the preparation for the tools required for what potential um, circumstances we may need them for, but what about um, in, in regards to mental preparation as well? Is, is there a big component of that to um, visualizing the worst case scenario? I, I believe so. I think I think uh, Stoism would say in, in preparing those tools, you are mentally preparing yourself because yeah, yeah, you okay. by even buying them, it's actually better to buy them rather than just visualize, oh my gosh, you know, what would happen if I get a flat tire, let's imagine. I mean, I'm keeping it very simple. And then fretting, fretting about it and getting really worried. If you put that spare in your, in your, the boot of your car, the back of your car, that. Then you go, yes, I can imagine myself needing to fix it. I can, I can, because by buying it, you can imagine yourself needing it. Or as you wouldn't buy, I mean, if you think about it rationally, hmm. if you just buy it for the sake of it, of course, then you, then you would have based, you would have bought something based on a frivolous imagination rather than fact. Yeah. Let's say you bought something. I mean, I don't, for example, I don't have a car. So if I buy a spare tire, because my friend might need one one day, I mean, I have to be quite imaginative of how I might use it. Uh, so that would be like a bridge too far. So, you, you know, as I said, uh, it can be, you know, you have to be careful. And I, I have often said, in fact, when people have asked me the same question, it depends on your personality. If you're one of these people that just the thought of of preparation, like a physical preparation would stress you out mentally, then there are other tools mm. and you could you'd process them um, with, with, uh, with help from friends or even a psychologist. But as I'm not in a psychologist myself, I, I, would, I would not be very... Uh, I wouldn't be doing due diligence by recommending a course of action because I'm not, I haven't got those skills. Uh, that's not sure. my background. Yeah. We talked about, I mean, you sort of mentioned at the start, um, panic buying and things like that. And I, I suppose, um, you know, in the UK, you mentioned in Australia, certainly was relevant, relevant sort of a week ago now. Um, and toilet paper being the one that um, everyone went and bought out of the shops um, and bought well, well over what their, their worst uh, well over what they would probably need but um, if they're visualizing the worst case scenario which is I don't know how it's probably based on un unfair facts but they they obviously had that visual there to, to put them into that panic situation to buy more than they need what's, what's your thoughts on that with uh, regards to how stoicism could have applied in that situation uh, exactly well one of the things is yeah they were visualizing perhaps not being able to get out for six months right yeah. that's the only that's the, or that there would be some kind of war-like scenario. And I think uh, we were saying earlier that the problem with is if, if you use the words or the language of war, or you use the blitz, or you use, people people start to think about U-boats in the Atlantic blowing up supplies. So they envision a whole sort of sequence of events yeah. based on an idea, you know, an idea, a war ideology, typically from the 1940s, which is not, you know, they think that's what would have happened and what was necessary, but they haven't really, necessarily asked anybody what it was like in the war or did they even use toilet paper for example i mean did they use news they're imagining these scenarios that's not based in any reality so stoicism would, would you would first ask yourself is it necessary to have you know 12 rolls of toilet paper if i live by myself 
Hmm. If you know, is that necessary right now, or is it necessary to have like you know twenty? Is, is that necessary? And then you would, you know, you could do a calculation. And go, well, how much toilet paper do I use normally? Yeah. And even in the worst case scenario, could I use? You know, is there something else I could use? I mean, how likely is it that we're going to run out of toilet paper in the next, you no, know, month? Hmm. <laughs> and you would do that calculation, and actually, you instead of buying that, you'd buy things like I would say things like. Uh, uh, dry food because you, if you take if you think how bulky like that stuff is even if you drive you know you're, you're filling up a humongous bit of space in your, the back of your car or in your bag that you're carrying and perhaps that's not the wisest thing because at the end of the day you can't even eat toilet paper right <laughs> the worst case scenario it's not something you can chew on I mean your hamster might be able to but you won't yeah. and so th- they would you know they would encourage you to, to be sensible about exa- work out exactly what you need yes go for example go with a list um, you use your observation instead of hoarding. Use your observation skills to work out what is in the shop and what isn't. Of course, in the UK last week there was absolutely nothing. Um, but I'm just talking just a couple of days before. Yeah. Like, okay, what is likely to go missing? Do I have the stuff that I need? Because if in the panic buying, because everybody else is doing it, you're actually probably missing out on something that's really important. Like, for example, uh, do you have a do you have a head torch in your house? Because if, if things get really bad and electricity gets cut, you're going to need a head torch. Mm, I mean, yeah. these things that people are probably not thinking about. Do you have a first aid kit? Yeah. And I don't just mean the alcohol people were buying, but do you have a basic first aid kit? If you cut yourself, could you could you could you you know put a bandage? Would you be able to, you know, maintain? Uh, a relatively healthy, you know, lifestyle based on the the medicate you have or the, the medicine you have, because even going to the pharmacy would be a risk because the people going to the pharmacy would be sick, mm. right? So you say, okay, have instead of buying toilet paper, maybe I should stock up on say, you know, paracetamol because as we know ibuprofen is not the best thing to take right now. So you just ask yourself a different set of questions. Yeah. Um, you know, do I have spare fuel? Because mm. maybe maybe the fuel will run out, and I need you know these kind of questions. Instead of asking how, how much toilet paper can I fit into my car, is in the worst case scenario when the electricity goes out, do I have a head torch? Yeah, and yeah. so it's I, more, more, this more to view than than. But it's, it's uh, this idea of just reacting, and and I guess that causes that herd mentality. But um, that's what it is. People are just reacting without having that process of thought behind their actions. Exactly. I mean, Lee, what did you do, for example, when you when you just felt at that point, okay, this is going to go, this is not going to be necessarily terrible, but this is going, this is going to get bad. What did you start to? I haven't done really too much to do? yet. I've just I've taken it day by day. To be fair, um, I actually did go to the shop probably several days after the, the initial panic buy, um, and I went there to get something for a barbecue I was attending. Um, so I guess a little bit blasé about it all. Um, and when I went to the shops that day, the shelves were full. I, I grabbed a packet of toilet paper while I was there, some bread, and what I needed for dinner that night, um, and, and walked out, you know. But I didn't um, certainly go in there with a big trolley and get all excited and, and stock up. Um, and at this point, I'm probably, my thoughts are a little bit different about what, what's to come. Um, we're not in a full lockdown yet in Australia, um, but I, it's, it's bound to happen, I, I suppose. Um, it's just a matter of when that's going to happen. So at this stage, I'm thinking, okay, well, what you know, what other things, perhaps should I be going out there to get, um, and is that necessary? And I guess my question at the moment is, what is necessary and what is is perhaps not necessary. I mean, I think that's the hardest question, and there's not, again, there's not necessarily a right no. a right answer. Because stoicism doesn't say there's not really many absolutes. The only one being virtue is the only good. Yeah. So everything else, where it depends who you are it depends who your neighbors are like i was also thinking okay how can i help 
you know, a friend of mine is now staying at ours. Um, or what about my neighbours? What difficulties are they likely to have? So you, you kind of extend that. So once you've dealt with yourself, like the immediate things, like put your own mask on first, right? Once you've done that, and I don't mean just sit there with your mask and not do anything else. One design, okay, who else can I help? What would they need help doing? Who can I call? Who what might be lonely? Yeah, yeah. What else can I do? Yeah, mm. exactly that. Yeah, and certainly that those thoughts are happening at the moment too within our, our community. Um, you know, what, what can we do to help those that are going to be more vulnerable in, in the near future? Um, so that's in place and, and I've probably sometimes put things like that at more priority than our own house. But um, at the same point, life has to go on and I feel that we need some sort of forward momentum. So it's 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 challenging, isn't it, the, uh, the thoughts that we can have right now? Absolutely, because I'm looking, I'm looking at it going. Uh, for example, I'm looking I'm looking at it from a slightly cynical way of how how comes that we didn't have money for things when we needed it, like when we needed to improve the the national health service in the UK. There was no money, and now there is money. Yeah, you know, suddenly somebody's yeah. got a zero zero and a return on the keyboard, and now there's trillions. But mm. when we really were saying, you know, we need to make sure that in not in the t- worst case scenario, because I think with NHS you can't. You can't run on the worst possible case scenario because then you just you would waste a lot of not even the money in terms of space. There's only so many beds, there's only so many ventilators. But we've been stripping back in the UK because of um, successive right wing governments, and it's not the issue was not right wing. It just they happened to decide that part of their right wing policy was to uh, strip back a little bit the National Health Service. So mm. I don't think that is a right policy. It just happened to be. Uh, seen as a right-wing policy and the yes. irony is that the the right-wing government that the uk has has now spent more money in a socialist way than any left-wing government and uh clement attlee just after the war when he he developed uh, with his team the nhs right. so I, I i kind of find it quite interesting like you know when we've when we've needed to react uh, to act proactively there's been no money we haven't there's been no mm. money in the coffers to use a very sort of uh British word, I would say, but now we're reacting, and that's that's again the danger when we vote in politicians on this very sort of um, the rhetoric uh, the rhetoric they've used to you know, you know, the, uh, for example, he was saying Jeremy Corbyn is terrible, he's the last of the big spenders, and yet he's you know his government has spent far greater amounts, and that's and that's understandable. It's yeah. not sort of criticism. Yeah. Just interesting to me. How suddenly, like yeah. three months later, the the rhetoric is changing, the language of uh, is changing, and I'm hoping that it's for the good. I and mean, I'm very I'm very proud today to to be British because they, you know British people were clapping the NHS at 8 p.m. Very proud that we have an NHS. Very pleased that the right wing government has, I think, done the right thing. I, I think has stood by its people and uh, struck a. A sensible tone most of the time. I think mm. it was a bit blasé in the beginning, but you've said yourself that you can understand why that would be. Mm. So I'm hoping, for example, that uh, Australia and the US follow suit. I mean, the US is having a lot of problems, and it's difficult to see a sensible reaction at the moment from the highest people in government. But I'm glad to see, for example, the New York governor is doing is doing his his best under very crippling circumstances. And I'm really hoping that they develop a national health service because of this virus. It should never have had to come to this, but I'm hoping that, that the American people realize when they see around the world what's happening, because they're hearing about, you know, it's not just them having a crisis, how other countries are dealing with it. And when I read three days ago that a lady has just been cured and had to pay $35,000 and you think, come on, wow. just mm. because she was born, born in the US or what? Mm. So I'm hoping that some real good things come out of it. And, you know, we have a choice. And that's, the that's economy, I think, a really positive point, I think. You know, 
through any trauma or challenge, um, what are the opportunities? And they're not in a, a greedy, sort of hungry way, but what are the opportunities or lessons that we can use to further progress human society and, and our lives um, collectively and individually uh, through this scenario? Uh, going back to your point about being reactive, and I think Australian and a lot of people in Australia might might agree. Uh, there may be many that may disagree, but they would probably consider right now we're still being very reactive. We're not taking um, very firm measures, and we're probably being a little bit more confusing um, to the general public about what what we should and shouldn't be doing. Um, what are the stoic sort of tools, I suppose, that can help us not collectively but individually? and be a little bit less reactive in, in life in general? So I think the the, the one that I would, uh, the one that's closest to my heart is the climate breakdown. Um, Australia is well known for its climate issues. Mm-hmm. And it's also well known to rely heavily on coal and uh, mining. Um, and I think that uh, one should think about diversifying Australian economics and of course as an individual how do you do that you say yes i recognize there's a climate breakdown problem we have these forest fires what can i do well one thing is you know it's not very popular to talk about politics at the table right everyone says you can't talk about politics you can't talk about (laughs) economics and i I tell people yeah do talk about it do talk about it but in a polite way yeah like find an agreement point even if if for example if you think climate breakdown is a problem which some australians i know really don't think so then, then question, why do you think that it isn't a problem? So Australian said to me, yeah, but I've, I've heard that climate change is causing the temperature to rise to the, hot, the hottest it's ever been, and that's not true. And I said, you're right. And they were like, well, it's like, yeah, it's not, it's not true. We were hotter before. And they're like, oh. I said, yeah, but we, don't have, we have 7 billion people on the planet now. Before, we didn't have 7 billion people on the planet. So which, which 3 billion do you want to kill? And they were like, oh. <laughs> that was a, oh so questioning that alternative, but I mean, how do we... I guess it's through questions that you can encourage um, others to question their own perspectives and thoughts. Um, but for, for most people, like a, a, someone who d- disagrees with the climate breakdown, um, they won't want to question why they believe in the facts that they understand to be true. They don't, but when you agree with them, like the, I often yeah. say, you find a point of agreement. Hmm. Um, and so that's why I said the Australian person was like, oh, you agree with me? Because we did uh, agree that it's not the hottest it's ever been. And the thing is, in, in Stoicism, it's not about, uh, because it's Socratic reasoning, it's not about finding an argument. It's about finding common ground. And then you and I leave, we'd have find the common ground. And then we find out, okay, so we be- we both agree that... We have some common ground, which is a good right. starting point for a relationship yeah. and... Exactly. So we form we form a we form an argument of respect just out in the you know just straight out the you know straight out of the gate. Yeah. Oh, but Lee, I agree with you. It's not the highest temperature we've ever had. I'm mm. in absolutely agreement, and I'm sorry so if an environmentalist said to you that it's the hottest it's ever been, and then I, I profusely apologise because that's wrong. Mm. Because I'm environment because that's my job, isn't it? I'm an environment academic. Yeah. But you know, it could be anything. But I said, I'm really sorry that you you were misinformed. Mm-hmm. you're sorry you're sorry i'm misinformed of course i am because you know you shouldn't have been misinformed and that wasn't your fault it's not it's not your field of expertise allow me to allow me to talk to you about it and and it just i have never or rarely i can't say never but rarely with that approach backfired and it's never backfired on me actually <laughs> it makes the other person look bad because they're like no i'm not willing to listen well if you're not willing to listen that's okay yeah. what, what can i say but i want to have a conversation with you because i want to understand why you believe that yeah because yeah. i value what you think 
hmm. especially if they're friends and family or or you know people on social media in the australian case it was people on social media um so the, it was like the general public was reading this this debate and they were like oh you know what I mean? Because I didn't attack anybody. There was no need to attack. So I think probing in a very polite and respectful way, not because you want to prove a point, but because you want to understand where the other person's coming from. Mm. We just, we just don't start. I mean, I you have to correct me, but most people, including myself, I don't start an argument normally trying to find common ground until, unless I train myself to do it. Yes. Yeah. No. I don't and know I've, I've seen you... many um, recent discussions in family about um, climate change and, and it never starts like that. There is no common ground. It's it's one versus the other, and there's never any trying to understand the other person's perspective or, you know, walking in their shoes. Um, so exactly, and the thing with stoicism, for example, the walking in the shoes is an interesting comment that you've said because we don't believe in stoicism in empathy because we cannot really walk in somebody else's shoes, right? We okay. presume, we're assuming we can. Hmm. So in stoicism, we have sympathy, but not empathy, because we say empathy is, is we can't, if we're putting ourselves in somebody else, putting ourselves in, in somebody else's shoes, what we're doing is putting ourselves in their shoes, not themselves in their shoes. So we're not really understanding their point of view. We're understanding their point of view from our values, yep. instead of asking them what they actually believe. Yeah, but like the, so, the recent example, like I, I had uh, my wife getting quite upset that they left the whole people whole bunch of people off um, a, 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 um, a cruise ship in the Australian uh, harbour in Sydney. And um, she was quite upset about it. And, you know, she was sort of attacking the people that got off there and, and almost, you know, blaming, sort of accusing way. And I was just like, well, what happens if it was us on that boat, you know? What would we be inclined to do? Um, but is that is that empathetic or is that just sort of looking at as if, you know, if we're well, in, in, not in, in that, their in shoes case, but in, in, in their position, I suppose? Yeah, because you're saying in their position, like if I was in their position, yes. Yeah. Um, although even if you were in their position, you're still a different person, right? Absolutely. You can still be you can still be sympathetic. You can say, but that's you know, where's the justice in that? That's not fair. Like I'm not saying that you become cold-hearted. Not, on the contrary, you say, well, I can understand because although I'm not them, I can I know what I would feel because mm. I'm not trying. To, I would feel as a person, but I don't know how they feel. So I can sympathise with how they feel because I can imagine if I was in that situation, how I would feel. Uh, but okay. it's not That's quite. The the, it's very mm. subtle, but yes, it's not it is quite very too. Mm. Um, and on the in terms of a boat, it's a bit. It's a bit easier to be. Like, I can empathise because I can get off that boat. But if it's a case of I'm trying to understand their opinion, their opinion, and I don't know what it is, or I understand their pain. For example, someone says, for example, if my if your dad has just died, yeah. and I go, oh, I, can, I, I know, how, and my dad hasn't died, right? In my case, my dad's still alive. Yeah. So imagine if I try to empathise with you. How yeah. could I do it? Yeah. That, that would can't. be the sort of, I can't do it. And it would be insincere of me to go, Lee, I'm really sorry. I, I really know I really know it must be hard for you. I can just imagine how, to, I can't even imagine. Hmm. And that's, that's I can't typically what you'd, well, I don't know. That's what I would say. I can't imagine yeah. how you must feel in your position because I've never been through it. Yeah, but, but a lot I, of people don't, I, don't say that. But I can yeah, imagine it must I, be bloody hard. Yeah. And so, again, it, it's subtle. And it's not like I'm trying to tell anybody else or anything like that. It's like, it's just what we were saying earlier, like the way that we express and the terms that we use. We can say, you know what? I can't imagine. I really can't. I have nothing. I can't say anything. There's nothing I can say to you right now, but I can hug you. Yeah. If you like. What, what, sorry, and, what, and is, then, what is the, um, the, the, stoic, the stoic issue with, with empathy? That they because they'll say that you're trying to put yourself in somebody else's shoes, right? Based yeah. on your right. values, typically. Yeah. 
Right. Uh, so, like, for example, when you see it, this is one I typically use, when you see a homeless person, you could feel sorry for them because you put yourself in their shoes, right? Hmm. But you might also start to question, maybe homelessness isn't bad. Maybe it's our attitude towards homelessness that is bad. Because perhaps some people want to be homeless, but they don't want to be treated poorly because they're homeless, right? Yeah. And they, don't, they want you to look them in the eye, perhaps, because they feel they, they're human, but they don't want to live in a house. And I met a Spanish, when I was living in Spain, I met a Spanish person. He told me off for giving, trying to give him some money. When I was much younger, this is like 10 years ago now. He said, why do you give me money? I want to be homeless. I don't need your pity. And I learned from that day that I should be very careful about the assumptions that I make. Yes, yes. Because I felt, I felt sorry for him and he felt sorry for me because I needed the comfort of a house and he said he was free to live under the sky. Yeah, sure. And that was quite a. It's an eye opener. He, was, yeah. he, he wasn't. He wasn't you know, rude to me, but I was rude to him because I assumed that I was doing him a favour. Yeah, yeah. And it's kind of like uh, when Alexander Great comes and talks to Diogenes. Is it Alexander Great? Who comes? Is it Alexander Great comes to Diogenes and says, "Oh, I've heard about you. What else? Whatever can I do for you?" He says, "Get out of my. Get out of my son. You know, you're blocking my son. Get out of the way." He comes to like saying, "You're very wise, and I want to help you. And how can I do it? You know." Stop blocking my son. <laughs> Stop giving me shade I don't want. So that's the kind of thing. It's a very subtle thing. So with the boats, I you know, I don't disagree with you. I would sympathize and say, well, I don't know what it's like because I've never been on a cruise. But I can see that it would be unfair to not let these people, you know, dock because they're human beings and they need somewhere to stay. Mm. It, would come out, it would come out of a different way of looking at it. So I would look at it in terms of like justice. Is it fair that they're stuck on a boat? If they are, based on the facts, if they're stuck on a cruise ship, is it likely that their condition will get worse? Yes. Mm. Okay, if it's likely that it's going to get worse, can I alleviate that problem? Yes. So why don't I do it? With caveat. So, okay, why don't I do it? I do it carefully. I put them in quarantine because obviously letting them letting the people loose to do whatever they wanted would also be irresponsible. You just approach it differently. It doesn't mean that you become very cold-hearted and stoic with a small S. It just means the language that you use is slightly different. Yep, yep. Um, it's a very subtle thing. And going back to climate breakdown, I mean, talking to someone else about their, you know, trying to understand why they, they think or have that perspective that uh, maybe disagrees with what your perspective is. Exactly, exactly. Because you, if you say, well, for example, in the climate breakdown, like that, you're both in a situation. We're both Australian, for example. We should surely you should believe the same thing I do. Surely you should love the koalas like I do, for example. Yeah. But then you're not taking into consideration what they might have learned or what they they chose chose to pay attention to. So really, it's about finding that common ground and then asking questions about. You know why why they see it the way they see it yeah that's I mean, the only way you're going to get understanding isn't it? it exactly that's the way socrates and it's very uh, stoicism comes out of the socratic tradition so it's it, it, that's why we talk about i don't know if you have you heard the expression false impressions no uh, no well, maybe so in stoicism it, it talks it tells you like you should always look at your impression and when i mean impression it's like your opinion so if i'm frightened because you make me jump let's say lee that's not my first impression that's just a reaction because you sneaked up on me and you made me jump yeah then after you made me jump, right, and I go, whoa, and I've just jumped out of my skin, I then have the ability to, like, weigh that up in my mind. Am I really in danger, or is Lee just playing a joke on me, right? Mm. And then I really measure that and go, right, my first impression, what is it going to be? And I can withhold an opinion. I don't have to have one, which is why I said to you, for example, when you asked me the question about psychology or what would you do, I actually said I don't have an opinion because I don't know. Mm. 
which is not typically what academics tend to do. Um, but it's something I learned through studies and to, to actually withdraw um, and not have an opinion if I wasn't sure. So you sit there and say, okay, I need to weigh this up. I need to, is it reasonable that I have this opinion based on, like, you know, your wife would have done, okay, is it reasonable? Why am it I wouldn't, reacting? Wouldn't that be a different world if we, if we all sort of had that ability to withhold opinions? Because <laughs> isn't it uncommon? Like, isn't it uncommon? Like, because you can go into a situation and we will go for our, our first opinion and we, we will not withhold it. We will not, you know, hold back till, till we know more. And that's exactly and that's, what happens in maybe a climate breakdown discussion. Exactly, exactly, because we we are so used to the need to. I mean, sometimes we have to hear our own voice because I think sometimes our opinion comes out and we've never heard it before. But you know, normally with climate breakdown, we're quite well rehearsed, and it, it comes back to uh, you know I want to persuade this person that they're wrong, instead of I want to get to a point where they accept mm. whatever they accept. Yeah. So. Because your ideal world, they come to the same opinion, or not the same, but a very similar opinion to you, because the facts are the same. And that's uh, only if the, people are open to that sort of a discussion, because I could just imagine, I'm just visualizing a situation now where one person brings up the, the an argument of climate breakdown and the other person says, I disagree, and their opinion is, is just held. And if that person then was clever enough to find common ground and ask them questions about it, that person just may close off because that opinion they're, they're holding on to that opinion too much and 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 perhaps they they don't want to let go of their e ego by admitting correct. that they actually don't know enough correct but again then as a stoic then your opinion then becomes i don't this person is a fool right mm. i don't i don't need to spend time with a fool who refuses to learn yeah like and i don't need to be foolish by trying to spend my time persuading him or her that would be foolish. I would turn into the fool because I'm trying to persuade a fool to have a, a, a reasonable opinion based on the evidence. Obviously, you'd have to check, my, you know, is my opinion based on evidence? And let's say it was. Then you would be very foolish. You would be even more foolish than the fool in trying to persuade him or her that you were right. Why would you wait? The Stoics would say, why would you waste your time doing that? Mm. You know, if you, if you have reason to believe that, you know, Kai is not going to listen to you, Lee, then why would you have a discussion with Kai? Yeah. You don't need to have a discussion because we're, there's, we're not starting on the same premises. We're not even trying to find common ground. And there's no, that's the other thing that we, we feel the need to have a discussion. And Stoicism says, well, if you believe there's evidence to suggest there's no common ground or there's no willingness to find common ground, then walk away. Well, it's sort of purposeless, isn't it? Yeah, exactly. Senseless. It literally makes no sense to do it. So in the case of your wife, I mean, that was obviously not so the case. <laughs> it is incredibly common. Yeah. <laughs> Incredibly common. Well, I find myself why... a lot now sitting back and and just listening, because um, I'd you know I find it quite entertaining, not entertaining but educational, to to watch people in these scenarios. And rather than and I'm I'm still guilty of jumping in with my opinions, um, but have become better at sitting back and just listening to it because most of the times I'm sitting there and go, hang on, I don't actually really know enough about this to to even mm -hmm. have an opinion. And that's. That's, that's, yeah, I just wish everybody had the maturity. I mean, I've only, it's something I'm still learning, and don't get me wrong. I, it, it's hard. When I get into things I really know, it's even harder. So if you ask me about stoicism, like, it's really, really hard for me to not have an opinion. And that's the, that's the danger. And it's very dangerous to, you know, just agree with me because I'm an academic who, yeah, who yeah. such a stoicism. But at the same time, that, it can be a little bit, um, limiting as well because if we're sitting back all the time saying i don't really know enough like there's got to be a point where you do know enough about something that you're passionate about to to intervene and and, and share your thoughts 
Exactly. That's and that's why the Stokes, yeah, that's why Stokes says wisdom is to know who, to, you know, when to talk, what to talk about and with whom. Hmm. Yeah, right. That's wisdom. Right? So you've just said that. You've just said to me, there is a point where I know what to talk about. That's what you just said. You said to me, there's a point where I know who to talk to and then why. You're talking about the purpose in the case of your wife. You had a very good purpose. Mm. So trying to, to show some sense of uh, sympathy, some sense of compassion, right? Some yeah. sense of, okay, we can have compassion. So you've just shown me the three ways that you have, you've been working towards wisdom yeah. In, yeah. in just that conversation. That's something you're already doing, evidently. Mm. Hmm. Uh, you might not have done it with strike, I don't know, but you already you were doing it. <laughs> uh, the, the next trick is to do it more consciously because we can do the right thing without even being conscious of it. So the strikes would say, okay, once you've now you're doing the wrong, the right thing by accident, now is for you to do the right thing for the right reason at the right point in time in a conscious and consistent level. That's yeah. when your wisdom really, you know, you really start to progress. Yeah, yeah. Now, 100%. And you, you sort of talk about, you know, understanding the why. Um, behind uh, you know everything that we do in life rather than just accepting it as as this is what we do um, and perhaps that's a good segue but what what are the you know stoic thoughts behind behind that that you have yeah behind the why of the why of the purpose well, of life, yeah, just, well stoicism as a practice in general um, I think overall is from my understanding a, a better reason or a better set of tools or resources to help us better understand the why so that we can live a more virtuous life i i mean i certainly uh i certainly believe so uh i dedicated my i mean i'm an engineer in my background so my academic background is engineering but i felt that engineering didn't ask the why so we asked if there's in his historic con 2018 talk that i give it's on youtube we can i guess we can put the link up under this yeah. uh this talk where i said that i oh, in engineering sorry, we asked uh, in Stoic Cons, there was a Stoic conference in 2018 in London. I did a talk about Stoicism and sustainability. It's a 20-minute okay. talk. And I said that I'm an engineer, but I walked into philosophy because I wanted to know why. In engineering, we ask, how many bricks do you need? And how long do you want the bridge? And, you know, those kind of questions. And yeah. what material and what measurement and how heavy? And I tell my students, the most efficient bridge, the most sustainable bridge you can build is one that you don't build. Mm. The one that you don't build because you don't need it. Right. And in, in engineering, we don't ask the why enough. It's, mm. Again, it's, I mean, that's why I love the name of your podcast, The Hidden Why. Like, What is the hidden why that we're overlooking? Is the hidden why just because it's about money? Is it about political favours? Because sometimes, you know, in Colombia, we, when I lived there, they would build bridges because of political favours. Because they could, that was the hidden why, literally. Yeah, right. That's a terrible why, but that was a hidden why because someone had a private contract and they just wanted to build a bridge that didn't even make any sense. And when I lived in Latvia, I've been living a lot in different countries. In Latvia, I saw bridges in the middle of a field. I was like, why are there bridges in the Latvia? And they told me, oh, they got money from like the EU to build a bridge. <laughs> there was no road lee. <laughs> it was just a bridge <laughs> in the field. I wish I'd taken wow. a picture of it. I didn't yeah. have a camera at the time, but I'm literally, I'm That's telling great. you, in Latvia, there are bridges in the field. And you're like, Why? And it's because they got money from the EU, and the EU at the time has got much better now, I must say. Uh, they didn't check whether there was a road to connect the bridge to. <laughs> Just a random bridge in a field, you know? So I think... The, the so you you, were, you jumped into to studying Stoicism because of that that need to know more about why we do things, not just about yes. doing things. I, I, wasn't, I wasn't satisfied as an engineer that I knew the why. Yeah. Uh, 
I mean, for example, with sustainable development, I was convinced that it was the right thing to do, uh, but I wasn't I didn't have the tools to really understand why, hmm. because I wasn't taught about, say, a virtue perspective. I wasn't taught about the self-examination and engineering. We don't talk about examining our thoughts. Hmm. We don't talk about I do teach critical thinking to engineers, uh, but that was something I taught because before I, was in, before I knew about socialism because it wasn't it wasn't being taught. So I would do a calculation that was really easy, but tell them it was really difficult. And like a magician, I would say, I've got to get coffee because this calculation is really hard. And I would leave the room with this coffee. So it's going to take you ages. It was a very simple mathematical calculation, yeah. but yeah. it made no sense. It actually made no sense. And they don't get the answer right. And I'd say, why did you do it? And they said, well, you told me to. I said, you, you, let me explain this. This calculation makes no sense. And I showed them where, why it made no sense. They had to tell me how much energy it would require to move a bus, but they didn't. I didn't put the calculation of how much fuel was in the bus because obviously the weight of the bus would also depend on the fuel in the tank. Right. I said, how would this bus even move? Where's the fuel? And everyone was like, oh my gosh. I said, and this is why this is why people die because we build bridges that fall down because we don't ask what's missing. We're too frightened to speak. Mm. We're too frightened to question the hidden why. You know, why is this bridge being made? Is it being made safely? Is it necessary? Yeah. yeah. Um, and we weren't given those tools. And I felt that philosophy wasn't given the tools as much about the how and the what. Mm. We have a lot about why, and we go, yeah, okay. So we know what you know. Why you know we we ask ourselves why do we exist? But is that useful? Is nihilism particularly useful philosophy if we're about to die in the heat of battle? And we know we're going to die or it's very likely that we're going to die. So I felt like, you know, nihilism probably wasn't the best way to go. And that stoicism could give answers when you're on your deathbed, when you when you know that you're going to face almost certain death, when you know that you, you're going to enter into lockdown. I think that stoicism gives you answers and, and you feel content about is this fair? I think it is fair because if I go out, even if I'm particularly young or I'm not the vulnerable group, then if I go out, I could spread it. And that's unreasonable. That's mm. unreasonable based on the fact that um, I believe that the goal in life as a Stoic is to progress towards eudaimonia, which is not happiness, but a sense of flourishing underpinned by the ability, the capacity to think and act with courage, justice, self-control and wisdom. So the wisdom would be like you, we were discussing who should I talk to to find out how dangerous this COVID-19 is. Uh, what should I do in this? What should I do in this situation, and why? And with whom? Right. So with whom might be only my wife, for example, yeah. because I would be putting other people at risk. Do I have the courage to stay at home when my friends invite me out? I mean, mm. that's for younger people. That's a particularly yeah. challenging situation. Yeah. Uh, what do I think about uh, the fairness of it? Because if I go out, for example, and people aren't thinking about this, but if I, if you and I go out, Lee, and we're in lockdown, say, yeah. we're actually extending the quarantine because we're causing more risks. We're spent, we're making other people stay in the house even longer than they would otherwise. Mm. And mm. that's the irony of people going out and partying in the US and the UK and. Uh, the first week before people took it too seriously on the beach in Portugal. So we're just going to extend the quarantine yeah. because you're going to spread it. And that's not fair because the 90% of people are staying in their homes. So in Stoicism, you're saying that you want to be just and yet you went out unnecessarily. Mm. I'm not saying for a bike ride. I'm saying like, you know, you, you walked your dog. Like there was a case yesterday where where the the mayor, I think it was in, in Italy, was telling the person off because their dog was so tired because they'd walked it all day. But that's not that's not what we mean when we say you can walk your dog. Yeah, you know, don't try to bend the rules just because you can. It's a it's a 
it's a tough one, isn't it? I went for a uh, swim in the ocean the other day because the pools are shut. And so I got in my car by myself and I drove to the beach um, and walked into the water and went did a 2K swim. Got back in my car and drove home, so didn't come in contact with anyone. Um, but there was quite a little bit of controversy over that in my circle of friends, um, whether that was the right thing or not. And and I was conflicted too myself internally because I thought, well, I, I didn't see a problem with it. I was by myself. I didn't come in contact with anyone. I was swimming in the ocean. Big deal. But I guess there's there's you know, where do we draw a line? And, and, you know, does that allow other people then to see them as doing actions that may be fair as well that could potentially extend quarantine for others? Exactly. And so then you'd ask yourself, I mean, because I would ask myself the question, is it likely that I'm going to meet people? Is it likely that uh, there's going to be other people on the beach? Hmm. So you might have been like, if there's other people on the beach, I should turn the car around, you know, because I yeah. shouldn't be be there. At, at the same time, you, you've got that question of like, what is my role in society? Because stoicism isn't, doesn't exist in a vacuum. So based on your role, I mean, I don't know if you have children, but if you did, would your kids or your, you know, or your nieces and nephews, would they see that that as an encouragement to go out? Would they then take the precautions that you know you evidently took? The answer might be no. So it's not that exist the justice and the courage and the wisdom and self control exist in a vacuum. Mm. It, it depends on our role, and it, yeah. it could be, for example, that you know you could say, well, I'm a lifeguard and I need to swim because it, you know, <laughs> that's my job. That's something I have to do because if other people come into difficulty, I can't be, t- I can't not swim for you know, 20 days, because then I won't be able to rescue people. So again, it, it really depends, Lee, on your, your own role in society. Yeah, that's a good uh, point. Hmm. Because it, it's too easy, I mean, it's too easy to be like, well, let's all go into lockdown. Well, okay, but there are people that do need to, you know, sports styles, they need to do some exercise, but they shouldn't abuse it. That's the, that's the question, like, what can they do? What's necessary and what's not? Yeah, um, and I think I, I think that we all know internally, if we, if we think about it enough, what's reasonable and what's not. So I, for example, I go out for a bike ride once a week because I need to move. I do need movement. But I, I think once a week is, is the sort of the happy medium that I've balanced. Like, okay, once a week is enough. It's the bare minimum I need because I, mm. need to, I can't be at the four walls. And I feel with a bike, I'm always going to be two meters away from people yeah. because you're never that close to a bicycle. No, no. Right. So that was the calculation. If I go that's, that's walk, it, and that's a, a bit of a balance to it all, isn't it? But because um, I yeah. mean, really, for me, yes, the swim was more a selfish reason of wanting to swim and exercise, um, and perhaps that's that's unnecessary. But perhaps that's very necessary as well for keeping my mental health, um, etc. Yeah. During a potential longer term lockdown. But then looking at it and going, well, maybe if I do go, maybe I just do it once through because I'd, I'd, to be honest, I'd love to do it every day. Um, yeah. So, but yeah, and I would say you need. Line. I would say you, I've been saying to people. I think you do need to go swimming once a week because you know your lung capacity. The better that is, the better you can fight the the virus. Let's mm. be honest. Um, if you can go to a place where you're secluded, if you can go by yourself, because some people not, might not be very strong swimmers and therefore should not go by themselves, right? Yeah. And therefore, perhaps they should do a different exercise. So, for example, like I said, I, I could go walking and I, you know, that would be a reasonable thing for me to do, but I thought it was safer to cycle. Mm. Um, and I'm actually, I don't cycle on the pavement anyway. I make sure I cycle on the road at all times because. You know, why well, I should never be on the pavement anyway. But occasionally, I, I might have to because the traffic's heavy. Well, now I've got no reason to be on the pavement at all. Yeah. And if I see a pedestrian, I make sure I give them even more space hmm. than I would normally. So, I think it's too harsh to say that you shouldn't do something because again, there's no absolutes. But to be sensible and to you know take caution and be conscious of 
what you need. And I think, Lee, that you're, you would be right to go once a week, but going once a day would be, be selfish. Yes, yeah. certainly. Yeah. Interesting times, mate. What, um, obviously, you're quite into Stoicism. Are there any practices uh, daily that you sort of partake in, Stoic sort of practices, I suppose, um, that help you stay on track? I'm not a daily, I don't do things daily like that. No? It's funny because no. a lot of people do, but I don't. I just, uh, just talked to another gentleman that was exactly the same and he said, yeah, no, don't, <laughs> I don't do that. Um, you know, you might know him, uh, Peter Stankovic. Yes, I do. Yeah, I do know Peter. Yes, yeah. we, we met each other in, in, in London. Yes, uh, some people do. Um, I guess it, it depends on your personality. So I'm not a person who has like a, a daily ritual. Yeah. Um, I don't see the need in my life to have. Well, there is one actually. I do the I do the five Islamic prayers because it's living according to nature, and you pray according to the to sunrise in your uh, the sunset or the sun in your location. So that's the only thing I do like daily, because it makes me stop, and it's a, a quite an arbitrary time in the sense I don't decide. Oh yeah, I'll pray now because that's really convenient to me. It's actually sometimes very inconvenient. Mm. That apart from that, there's no like major. Like I don't get up even. I don't get up at a certain time every day other than to do like the, the, the prayer then sometimes I go back to sleep and sometimes I don't because I find that I use my stoicism in a very sort of proactive way I, I see okay where would it be useful to negatively visualize where would it be useful to journal and the way that I journal is to, to research uh, whatever I feel was, was lacking say in the stoic uh, community what I don't respond to academic needs in stoicism but what people ask me so they might say okay what should we eat for a stoic or you know like you're asking me is it reasonable for me to go swimming right so i might write a blog piece on that what should and we so eat I, for I, a stoic that's an interesting question yeah um i would say so when we did the paper it was what should i eat as a stoic living in the western world right uh, under normal conditions so i'm not talking about these conditions actually and it, we came to the conclusion that uh, a, a very much a meat-reduced diet, a very much fish-produced diet, but not necessarily vegetarianism, but certainly once a week, something like that, that if we wanted to eat meat, we should know where it came from. So we should avoid very commercial farming practices. Yeah, yeah. We should eat, we should waste less, so we should be less, you know, we should be more controlled about our portions. We should eat locally where possible. We should support smaller communities. We should, if we can, do a bit of urban gardening, for example. That would be very stoic. Uh, Masonius roofers, particularly, would talk about that. Um, that we should not be too fussy about what we what we eat. Mm. So we should eat simply. Uh, remove processed foods as much as we can. Again, if you're running, you know, you're running late. You've got to take your kids to swimming lessons, for example. And perhaps not. Uh, it's not always possible, but where possible to to really think about the ingredients whilst yeah. we're cooking, whilst we're buying, and whilst we're um, we're eating. So it's very much a conscious uh, practice of what we eat, because most of the time, and I include myself, I'm not careful. Uh, I can just I'm hungry and not really think about what I'm eating, mm. and not really think about the implications of that on the environment, on my health, and on other people's um, perception of me. Because diet is actually well. Uh, for example, you guys are quite into your barbecues, right? So it's quite an identity thing. Yeah. We're quite into tea and crumpets. So to be conscious that there is an identity link into food. Yeah. But at the same time, you know, question, do I like tea because I'm British? But I've been like brainwashed or because <laughs> I really like tea. And just asking yourself those questions, not because there's a particular answer, but just being conscious of what you are 
you're eating. So if somebody says to me, I eat three uh, meals a day, they all contain meat, I would say that's not particularly stoic. They would say, why? I'd say, well, you know, climate breakdown, cows are a big problem, particularly the way that we're feeding them soya because the amount of meat we need to eat. So if we ate less meat, we could actually uh, have more uh, grass-fed beef and it would be much better for the cow and much better for ours as well. So mm. the thing is, if we all want to eat three times a day meat, then they have to be fed on soya. Seventy yeah. percent uh, of soya production in the US is for cows, mm. and uh, that can be dangerous if we get our soya from the rain. What was rainforest? So you start to, you know, un, you know, you go backwards. So you go, okay, it's on my plate. Where did I get it from? Is that supermarket reasonable? Do they, you know, do they treat their staff fairly? For example, yeah. Uh, is that the kind of place I want to buy my food from? Mm. Um, and then you might go back to the production chain. Uh, is you know, is it reasonable that the cow was kept in cramped conditions when, in Stoism Zeno, the founder says we should live according to nature? So if we restrict the cow's ability to live according to nature, then we're being hypocritical, right? Mm. So then you say, well, I would like a cow who is able to uh, feed on grass. That's very expensive. Okay, so I can only eat meat once every fortnight because... If I buy meat every day, it costs me, say, 20 Australian dollars uh, per day. But if I buy, like, one piece of meat that's really good quality, I know exactly where it comes from. That might be, that cost me, that one piece might cost me 20 Australian dollars, but it's better quality. Yeah. yeah. So that's the kind of, that's the kind of, like, being really conscious about what you eat and really working it through. Yes. Yeah. So I would say if you eat three times a day meat, that's not particularly stoic. No, unless you're probably in the Maasai tribe and you've got no option, right? So yeah. it depends where you are. Yeah. Yeah. I, I think a big part of this, and, and I'll, I'll probably wrap it up here, but um, the whole level of consciousness um, philosophers or, you know, the stoicism seems to bring into people that study it lives like yourself. You're very consciously aware um, and that thought process seems to be very um, consistent um, and regular. Um, to allow you then to act in a, in a more virtuous way, I suppose. Do you have anything that you do to to like keep up that level of consciousness, like other than doing your, your study, etc.? Is there a mindfulness practice or anything like that? I ask people to criticize me all the time, like in a in a kind way. Uh, I invite. Uh, which is not a very academic thing to do because academics don't like to be the smartest person in the room and I don't like to be the smartest person in the room. I think it's a generational thing. It's yeah. quite a young academic. Mm. So I tell people, like, as long as you, like, question me, like, in a kind way, do so. Like, pull me up in public. Do it. Because I want to. I want people to understand that I'm fallible. I want them to understand that I don't necessarily understand all the time. And but you must question yourself a lot too. Yes. And I think I think but, the... This, not the issue, but uh, potentially an issue in the, in the world that we a lot of us just go through our lives um, almost with, without thought, and we're just very reactive to everything and just very robotic about what we do, um, and we don't have that time for questioning, reflection, and and conscious level of thought. I mean, I didn't have. I mean, it takes training, yeah. um, and. Uh, Unfortunately, in the beginning, you have many, many blind spots because you're so, I mean, as Lee, you were just saying like uh, 20 minutes ago, like you're very intensely, not you personally, but one is very intensely tied to their opinion and they don't want to even like forget that maybe their opinion is wrong. Hmm. Like it took me, it took me like every day of thinking it through and really thinking through sometimes like eight hours in a day because I'm working on it. Like, how can I let go of my need to give an opinion? So one thing I stopped doing was, for example, was opinionating my, <laughs> on Twitter. I realized that was completely unnecessary. Yeah. It wasn't it wasn't a place that I could have a discourse that was respectful because no one, it's not a place you can find common ground. And I could save time 
and energy. But I ask people to critique me. Well, I should say critique me rather than criticize in most cases, unless there are, you know, there's some need to really criticize because I'm being hypocritical. Uh, because I couldn't see it, Lee. I mean, I, I, I can't, and I'm still not able to always see where, you know, my stoic practice or my, you know, what I choose to eat, whether that's completely reasonable, you know, because I assume Again, this is the day because you say, well, I do, I do, you know, I do reflect quite a lot, and I'm, you know, I reflect more than the average member of the population. Yeah, but doesn't mean, that doesn't mean I'm not wrong. Yeah, yeah. So yeah. that's why I said it can get really dangerous because you start to believe that you're, oh, I'm no longer like an amateur in terms of, I'm, I'm actually seen now as a professional, right? And then you can get really dangerous because you just become blinder and blinder. So I've asked people that I trust. It's not an open, you know, I'm not saying it's everybody because I don't want everybody's opinion, but people that I know who really care about me and want me to do well in my life based on, you know, one of the questions you might ask is why successful working towards being more just. And I say, well, do you think that was fair? Do you think I was fair? And they'd be like, no, actually, Kai, I don't think you were fair. Mm. (laughs) Oh, and that hurts. I mean, I'm, you know, I'm not saying I haven't cried over it. I have, I might go home and cry about it because I thought, Oh, I really thought I was right. And I'm I'm not ashamed to admit that. that I really, sometimes I felt I really was right. And I was right, but my tone was wrong. Mm. My tone, like, yeah, but your tone was wrong. Yeah, yeah. Like, I mean, that that, it, that attitude is, is quite healthy to have that, you know, the view of life that um, I can be wrong and there's always uh, room for improvement and there's always probably going to be failure. Hopefully, I mean, if there's no failure, you're not learning, right? Yeah, yeah. So if I haven't failed, you know, I, I would say if you haven't failed at least once in a week, you're probably not stretching yourself far enough. I mean, failing uh, in, a, in a sensible way, not overstretching yourself to the point of breaking. It's not what I'm suggesting. Yeah, yeah. Uh, but sort of stretching yourself to beyond being comfortable without needing to break oneself. Because that's the other thing. Oh, I need to break. I need to. No, you do not need to hustle to the point of death. You know, it's like if you, I don't know, when you, if you squeeze oranges, if you squeeze them so hard, you actually lose the essence of the orange and you get the bitter taste. So if you squeeze life so hard that you try and squeeze every last drop, every last minute of productivity, you actually ruin the essence of the orange because you get the the, the bitter taste of the of, yeah. this, of the pill, right? The pill like around that. it. I'm like, so <laughs> yeah, I think in one of the questions that you that you were saying we might we might get to is that you know what do you you know what do you do for productivity or what do you do for success? And like, try very hard not to squeeze the orange so hard that I lose the essence of life. I mean, that yeah. would be something I've learned recently. I like that. That's a really good way to to wrap it up, Kai. I appreciate it. Um, mate, is there, is there a place where people can reach you, your website? Um, so I think, yeah, stoickai.com is my website. And yeah. yes, I mean, email, I, I always read the emails. And I, if you're not rude to me, I reply. <laughs> <laughs> and then uh, at Kai Whiting at Twitter, I think that's the, on Twitter, sorry, that's the best uh, yeah, time to. And that can be all found use. through stoickai.com. Yeah, exactly, exactly. So so they have my Twitter, um, so just my name. So I think if you just put it at the show notes, that would be very helpful. And I encourage people if they they really want to um, go into the link between stoicism and sustainability, uh, I'll send you the link of that YouTube video because I I was reluctant to repeat what was already on there and I thought our conversation was much more interesting because we were digging very deep and where the other video is a very sort of super – much more superficial was 20 minutes just quick okay this is this is why why this is uh stoicism and sustainability are uh intrinsically connected yeah i'll, I'll get that link and, and i'll stick it in the show notes guys so check it out at thehiddenwide.com this is episode 904 um kai thank you for coming on You're welcome thank you very much for having me Lee. guys until next time peace passion and purpose
Thanks, guys, for listening to this episode. I hope you enjoyed what you heard. I hope you love what you're hearing. If you like this episode, guys, or any of the episodes that you're listening to here at The Hidden Why, please do me a favor by sharing it. You can share it with your families. You can share it with your loved ones. You can do that by using your favorite social media channels using the icons on the platform that you're listening to The Hidden Why podcast. Also, guys, if you're a fan of the show, please connect with me. Connect with me at thehiddenwhy.com. I love to hear from you. I love to converse with the people that listen to this show to find out what they enjoy, what they don't enjoy, and perhaps if they have any questions or feedback for the show as well. You can stay up to date with all that I'm releasing here, guys. I do a solo show every Monday, a three-minute thought every Thursday. I do two interviews a week on a Wednesday and a Saturday, and a book review every Friday. You can stay up to date with all that by subscribing to my newsletter at thehiddenwire.com. Just enter your email address there. And also subscribing to the podcast on the platform that you choose to listen to your podcast. You can also support the show, guys, by using the Amazon links at thehiddenwire.com. So if you like books, you can get all the books that I review there um, and anything else, really, that you like to purchase through Amazon. So use that link. It helps support the show. And we've also got a deal with Audible, guys. Audible is a fantastic way to listen to all your favorite books. We've got a deal with them so you can get two free books when you subscribe or, yeah, subscribe to a 30-day free trial. So check that out, again, at thehiddenwire.com. Guys, that's it from me. You know what to do. Go out there. Breathe more passion into every single moment. Do everything with greater purpose and in doing so you will discover your hidden why this is the hidden why my name is lee martin Utsi. until next time peace passion and purpose see you soon